Amen. <clears throat> well, thanks everybody. Uh, thanks Mo for leading a really powerful time of worship. Um, I do think the one thing, um, Mike, am I too like, you know, big in the, in the sound? I mean, I know I'm loud, but um, so <laughs> the, only, the only objection I have with that song about Jordan River is that, you know, my brother and my sister can't help me, uh, help me cross. And we're talking about relationships tonight. So just minor caveat that uh, they can't help us cross the river, that only Jesus can help us make it to heaven. But along the way, our brothers and sisters can help us. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, just, just a little caveat. But, you know, I was inspired, um, I think a few months ago now or a month or two ago now, by Matt's objective when he preached um, that he didn't want to just lead another lesson, that he wanted to give people something different, something that they could hold on to um, and something that they could, would stand a chance of actually changing um, the way that we live um, as individuals and as a ministry. Um, and in fact, Matt, I mean, I continue to hear uh, the impacts of that message of, you know, what are the real truths? Um, what are the real, or how do we change the way we view truth? Um, truths that, that God is actually with us, um, that we are literally standing in his grace at all times, uh, and that we can use his word to confront our deepest doubts uh, and insecurities. And if a month and a half later I can spout back anything you said, and if that's hopefully close, um, then, then that definitely means that it, it's had an impact and a change on me and I think many of us in, in the ministry. Yeah. And so today as we embark on what may be considered uh, a controversial or sensitive topic. Um, my goal, though lofty, is similar, that what I don't want to do is just add my opinions onto a, a chorus or a host of other opinions um, on the subject. Instead, I, I hope that I can help us to redefine the subject in a way that is uh, both tangible and, um, and inspires change within our, within our culture or in our lives as we see fit. And my hope is that you would leave tonight with a little bit more courage to reflect on your own life uh, and surrender preconceived notions uh, we have of our subject tonight, which is uh, biblical discipling. Um, to surrender these preconceived notions to God uh, and seek to know and embrace his will for the role of what discipling can be in our lives. <clears throat> so to do this, I think we should start uh, with redefining what biblical discipling really is. Um, First, by admitting that the word to disciple or discipling, um, it doesn't exist in the Bible. Um, and in fact, uh, discipling is not even a word at all. In fact, when I was typing my lesson in Microsoft Word, I got the red uh, squiggly lines under discipling. Um, <clears throat> but um, what is very prevalent in the Bible is a consistent call throughout the scriptures to have deep one another relationships that reflect Christ in our place and time. You know, in Colossians 3 verse 10, it says that our new self in Christ is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says we are being transformed into Jesus' likeness with ever-increasing glory as we reflect the Lord's glory. And then in Ephesians 5.23, it says that Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior, and that the church submits to Christ. So what does this have to do with discipling? Uh, you might be asking. Um, and in my, uh, in my opinion, I think it has everything to do with discipling. Uh, discipling, as I see it in the scriptures, is purely the act of disciples of Christ reflecting God's image to one another. 
Um, and put another way, um, and in the context of our ministry, um, I would define discipling as living in a community of Christ-centered relationships that through our examples and teachings give one another the courage to live like Jesus. Or if you really wanted to simplify it even further, um, I would just say that it's love. Um, And not an emotional, romantic love necessarily, um, but as Paul expresses to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.23, love for one another with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Love with faith. Um, So before we continue on, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Um, God, I thank you so much for, uh, for the way that your word speaks to us and for the way that you give us the opportunity to um, meet together as a congregation uh, and as individual uh, relation, in our individual relationships to bring you glory and honor. Um, I pray that you would be with our hearts tonight. I pray that I know that discipling um, has connotations and has um, it, it brings thoughts and, and feelings, but I pray that you would be with our hearts to be soft to um, what our lives can really look like with, with uh, spiritual relationships. I pray that you would prompt me uh, with words through your spirit uh, and prompt our hearts to be humble to those, to those words that come from you. Um, pray that you would continually transform us in your image, um, and that you would work in our ministry, Lord, to call us back to the truth that we have in laying down our lives that we can live for you. Um, it's not about the program or the format, Lord, but that it's about glorifying Jesus' name through our lives. Um, it's in uh, your son's name that I pray, amen. Um, so be turning in your Bibles to Colossians chapter one. Um, that's where we will, the book of Colossians is where we'll be spending most of our time this evening. Um, and as I've dug into Paul's letter to the Colossians, um, there've been numerous themes that have challenged my perspective on what biblical love for one another is and where it comes from. Um, And so we're gonna talk about a few of those themes tonight. So um, to put it in an outline, but um, uh, tonight we'll be focusing on uh, what it means to be rooted in Christ's love. Um, How we can reflect the image of Christ to one another um, and then how we can have lives that are raised with Christ. Um, So to kick off the first point, rooted in Christ's love, let's begin in Colossians uh, 1 verse three. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So Paul expresses thanksgiving and remembers the Colossians in his prayers, always, um, because of their faith and love. Faith and love that spring um, from the hope they have in heaven um, that they've heard from the gospel. And I find it really compelling that uh, the source of their faith in God uh, and, and love for one another doesn't come from the things they can see. It's not from how put together or polished their church or ministry is. Um, it doesn't spring from how easy it is to love all their brothers and sisters because you know, no one um, in the church in Colossians ever gets their uh, feelings hurt or no one ever gets on their nerves or says the wrong thing. Um, but their faith and love for Jesus and one another is rooted uh, in what they have stored in heaven. And Paul continues on in verse six. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. 
You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who told us of your love in the spirit. Um, so here what I see is that uh, as a result of the faith and the love of the saints around the world, um, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Um, and if you slip to the next slide, um, there's a couple different ways in different versions, but bearing fruit and growing is what the NIV says, or um, increasing, that it's spreading by God's power um, and that it's changing lives. And it bore fruit in uh, Colossae through Epaphras, whose love and faith for the Colossians brought them to an understanding of God's grace. And it's continued to bear fruit in, the live, in their lives with help from the Holy Spirit um, since the day they first heard this grace as they came to fully know Christ. So I think it's important here to recognize that it's not a brand of church uh, or relationships that's changing lives and spreading, um, but the good news of Jesus, uh, the gospel. And, and Paul later defines in verse 21, uh, he later defines the gospel as the reconciliation through Jesus between our alienation from and hostility to God. And our presentation before God is holy, blameless, and above reproach. Um, and I'll say that again, that, that through being established and rooted in Jesus, we've gone from enemies of God, from alienation, from hostility against God. And from that, we've been reconciled to where we are viewed as holy, blameless, beyond reproach, without a single fault before the God of the universe. So in the spirit of redefining words, um, I wanna just briefly redefine the word reconcile, uh, at least what it means to me. And so one definition is restoring of friendly relations. Um, and I think that's a lot of times the definition that we think of with reconciliation. So, uh, you know, I, I got in a fight and now I'm gonna be reconciled and we're gonna apologize and we're gonna move on. And, and that's not wrong. Um, and, and, but we think that just as we might reconcile our differences through, okay, you know, me coming to God, I'm going to, you know, apologize and then therefore I'm gonna be saved. Um, but uh, as some of you know, I studied accounting uh, in school. Um, I asked Jacob if it was cooler to say I studied accounting or I work in accounting and he said neither. So, um, <laughs> so and, but in accounting speak, um, it has a little bit more complex of a meaning um, that you have two numbers that are totally different and um, they generally represent a before and an after. Um, and somehow you have to reconcile that difference. Um, and specifically, there has to be some transaction uh, if you will, uh, a transaction that transforms the first number into the second number. And so here, I think that that, that transformation and that uh, reconciliation uh, that, uh, that Paul is talking about is, is Jesus. Um, is Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection um, to a life, <clears throat> uh, to life transformed, oh, sorry, the Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection transformed our hostility to unity with God. Um, and that's what the Colossians are rooted in. That's where uh, they're rooted in the debt that was paid, the complete transformation of their lives through the power of Jesus' love, grace, and sacrifice on the cross. And this is pretty amazing, right? Yeah. Amen. Um, so coming back to verse nine, Paul continues on the theme of thanksgiving and prayer for the Colossians and asks that they would be firmly established in Christ. So uh, beginning in verse nine, it says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. 
and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's unceasing prayer for the saints in Colossae um, is that they would know God's will, that their lives would produce every kind of good fruit. That's what the NLT says. Um, that they would give joyful thanks to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of light. Um, and then finally in Colossians 2, Paul makes the distinction that just as in conversion we receive Jesus, um, so in our lives as disciples, we should stay rooted in him. So in Colossians 2 verse six, um, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So uh, what are you talking about, Cameron? Uh, what does this have to do with discipling? Um, well, let's revisit our definition. So uh, living in a community of Christ-centered relationships that through our examples and teachings give one another the courage to live like Jesus. And for me, um, as I studied out um, Colossians and, and, and some other places um, throughout the, the New Testament, you know, what I see is that discipling is not about a mechanism for holding one another accountable or a hierarchy in the kingdom. Um, and it's not about taking responsibility for delivering God's judgment upon our brothers and sisters. Um, the point number two is that discipling one another is about reflecting the image of Christ to one another as we stay rooted in him. Are you guys with me? Um, <clears throat> so returning to, there's a lot of scripture and I, this is not necessarily like a, maybe as conversational. Um, for me, it was really important that um, but I really think through what I believe and what I think the Bible says about the subject. And so maybe a little more prepared um, of dialogue than we're used to, but hopefully um, you'll, you'll follow my train of thought. So uh, returning to Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the image of God in whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created. And Jesus' body, so Jesus, all things were created. Jesus' body is the church. Um, and in Colossians 3.10, it says that we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then in 2 Corinthians, I'm jumping out of Colossians just a few times, 3.13, Paul writes to the church that we're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to, pre to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Verse 16, for now, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, we all are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And so where I see us going wrong, uh, often going wrong, um, is the idea that uh, in a discipling relationship, our, our primary responsibility is to focus on teaching, correcting, you know, fixing the person that we are discipling. Um, but instead, I see our primary responsibility uh, as consistently making sure that we 
are being renewed in the image of our creator, that we are being transformed into his image. And that as we do that, I believe Christ is reflected in our actions, attitudes, hearts, um, and how we strive to help one another. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't be intentional in teaching or helping one another, um, or that we should be self-focused and just make sure that we reflect the Lord's glory and that's just all about me. So, um, but instead, um, we should be, uh, we should be others focused, but we should start with um, being rooted in the word and reflecting that to one another. So I think Paul very clearly shows us that it's not his motive um, as he closes out Colossians 1 in verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that through Christ so powerfully works in me. So Paul is struggling, he's toiling to present others as fully mature in Christ. Um, But what's totally mind-blowing to me is that Paul doesn't claim this energy comes from from himself. Um, Instead, it's it's Christ's energy that is powerfully working in him. And and Paul's not trying to fix the whole world through his own talents and his own energy. Uh, Instead, he's trying to have an impact around the world. Um, Instead, he is having an impact around the world and even on the Colossians, who by the way, he's never met. Um, But because of Christ's evident reflection through his life and his writing, people's lives are changing. Uh, Because of the reflection of Christ, people's lives are changing, people that he's never met. And so I know, you know, in my personal life, I'm I'm called to an extremely high standard through um, brothers and and sisters who reflect Christ's image uh, and channel Christ's energy to help me become more like Christ. Uh, And I'm so thankful for the in-town ministry, um, for connecting me with men and women uh, who are some of my best friends that I'm doing life with, that I believe that I have these, these one another relationships with that are calling me uh, closer to Christ. Um, I think of Jeff, uh, who's not here, um, so it's easier, probably easier to share about him, uh, who I lead, helped lead a house church with. Um, two years ago, you know, I referenced two years ago because that's about the time when the entire ministry was getting started. Um, two years ago, we had a pretty surface level Christian friendship. Um, nothing wrong with it, we were just friends. Uh, who knew each other. Um, But through vulnerability, persistence, uh, and consistency, he's become one of my best friends. And I've so admired his love for Jesus uh, and for the church. Um, So because I've so admired his love for Jesus and the church, it's helped me to break down my walls, um, to be willing to ask hard questions that I don't necessarily know the answer to or wanna know if I (laughs) know the answer to, Um, to ask for advice in the most important and complex areas of my life. Um, And honestly, I never would have been inspired to do that um, <clears throat> I never would have inspired to place my trust in him if it hadn't been for the reflection of Christ that I saw in him. Uh, every time he agonized during a leaders meeting on how to best help meet the needs of the ministry or times when he would ask me as an unmarried brother ways he could best love and serve his wife, um, that reflection of Jesus has made it all the easier for me to respond in humility uh, when he does challenge me, when he does point out my sin, when he does try to help me to grow uh, and to mature. I think, of, I think of Jacob, my roommate. Same thing, two years ago, I don't know if I knew him at all, um, except maybe from a conversation here or there. Um, but we've lived together for about a year now as roommates, and um, I've seen Jesus reflected in, in all the ways that you can only <laughs> very clearly see when you live in a, a four-room, open-concept apartment. So, um, but I've seen his care and consideration for how he teaches God's word uh, to his family group and to the ministry. I've seen his willingness to serve people, even if he's not 
really close to them or doesn't even know them, um, but he serves them with his time and resources, um, <clears throat> even when those are limited. Um, we've had conversations until the wee hours of the morning, um, usually with a glass of bourbon, where, uh, where we contemplate God's will for our lives. Um, <clears throat> and the ministry in the church. And, and sure, we have conversations where we confess our sins, where we challenge each other's perspective. Um, but like with Jeff, I've changed and matured, not because of how he corrected or rebuked me or, or take, took ownership for my spirituality, uh, but because of how he's reflected Jesus through his heart and life. Uh, and I've grown so much because of that. So there's many other people I could share about. I think of Jen, who on many occasions has pushed to ask me the real question, the one that, again, that I may not know the, want to know the answer to, but the question that helps me grow. Um, I think of Jackie, who cares so deeply about the ministry um, and about helping it to be healthy and vibrant that she's dedicated countless hours, sweat, tears, and expo markers to, to serving it. Um, I think of Kyle and Jaron, who opened up their home to me and Maggie uh, for dinner, though they barely knew us, uh, and treated us like honored guests. I think of Marlon and Liana, who just recently joined the ministry, um, and my family group, and they had a passion to immediately plug in, to worship, to helping serve the, the family group, um, to finding ways that they could be, be used for God. And so all of these examples and, and so many more have reflected Jesus brightly in this city and have discipled my heart to want to know Jesus more closely. So the question remains, how do we do this? How do we live lives? Um, how do we live lives raised with Christ? And, and where should we focus? So thankfully, one of my all-time favorite scriptures um, that I think really helps define who I am um, as a Christian, and I think help us define where, who we are, um, is in Colossians 3. So we'll be starting in verse 1, and um, I'll be reading from the Amplified Version. I realize that it's kind of small up there, um, but it says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth, which only have temporal value. For you died to this world and your new real life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If your spiritual mind hasn't been blown yet tonight by the scriptures, then in my opinion, it should hear. Um, because as we are centered on and raised with Christ, as our hearts and minds are focused on him, our life becomes no longer our own. Our life is, our life is hidden with Christ and God. We're waiting for it, um, our real life, to appear with Christ, to be revealed with Christ in his glory. Um, but until that happens, until we're raised with Christ, we're still here in the 21st century and in Atlanta. And, um, and so Paul calls us to set our hearts and our minds on Christ. Um, thankfully, he also gives us some strong practicals, which, by the way, is also not a word. That one did blow my mind. But he gives us some strong practicals on how relationships um, that are rooted in, in reflect Christ are to look. So uh, beginning in Colossians, bless you, um, 3 verses 12. Bless you, Tosin. Um, <laughs> Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul gives us these instructions for how to live in a holy community. Because we are dearly loved, he says, that we should clothe ourselves with Christ's humility, forgiveness, and love. Uh, and, we should teach and, admonish, and we should teach and admonish one another in this love, all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and just to be clear, in the name of Jesus doesn't give us a license to do whatever we want. Um, rather, it's a reminder to be intentional and considerate uh, and bring honor to Christ's name. And as we live like this in the name of Jesus and with our true lives that are hidden with God, as we live like this with relationships that point each other back to our purpose, back to living as God's chosen people, as we live um, like this, pointing back to living in love and being in a humble community, that our first response should be to continue to help each other to know Christ more deeply, to teach and admonish one another with all gentleness, as it says in Galatians 6.1, with all patience, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. But nonetheless, we have the privilege that comes from Christ's love for each one of us to reflect Christ's image to one another with both our words and our deeds. And so as I reflect on our ministry, uh, I'm inspired by so many examples of the loving relationships that I see across the auditorium. Um, and I wanted to highlight just a few um, <clears throat> within my family group that inspire me. And I asked for feedback on, from them on, on what they think their allows their relationships to have depth that comes from being rooted in Christ. Um, I'm inspired by, uh, by Rob uh, Rosador and Mike Sampson, whose spiritual relationship is defined by a truly vulnerable friendship. A friendship where they can voice their, uh, share their victories and defeats on a consistent, often daily basis with one another and do so with the spirit of grace. A relationship where they constantly point each other back to Christ, to prayer uh, before talking to one another. Um, they say that consistency, grace, encouragement, and spiritual maturity uh, is the key to their relationship. I'm inspired by Maggie and by Jen. Um, I know that they didn't know each other at all, really, before uh, they decided to intentionally start spending time together. But as they opened up their lives together and were willing to be honest and raw, they have both grown in their tenderness towards the heart of God with roots in the truths of the Bible. Maggie says about Jen that seeing her depth in prayer inspires Maggie to be more intentional about efforts to strive for greater intimacy with God. Jen says that as they went to a place of vulnerability over time, they have developed a deeper trust and understanding of each other that allows them to love each other and more deeply challenge each other to grow. I'm inspired by Shannon Connors and Mary Newell um, that even though they both have busy schedules, they're persistent about spending time together. Uh, and Shannon asks Mary, tons of questions about life and how to follow Jesus and all the situations of her life. Shannon says that the fruit of Mary's life encourages her to be more like Jesus. And talking to Mary, it's obvious that it's not a one-sided relationship. Mary feels that she has cared about personally and genuinely loved, which enables her to be real and vulnerable in return. So these are just a few small examples, but I think they're a powerful reminder that God is already working powerfully in our ministry and in our relationships. Uh, and as I reflect on my own deep relationships and, and the ones I see around me, I see that putting ourselves out there, being vulnerable about where we're at spiritually and emotionally is a key to building the deep relationships that are only possible in Christ. And as I close out, I, I hope that we take this message seriously. 
uh, not my interpretation of the message, but the application of God's word in our lives. The message that we need each other in our lives more, not less, because we have the opportunity to reflect Christ's glory in a way that we might otherwise miss completely in our daily lives. So I encourage you to take, take some time tonight or this week to write down who are the people in your life whose image of Christ inspires you to know him better. And if you feel like you're lacking in these relationships, then I encourage you to start by simply being open and vulnerable with the people that you interact with most, in your family group and house church, the people who live around you in the city. And as you build trust, be open about your life and your fears, your passions. And I encourage you, I encourage everyone in both your new and current relationships to seek out the depth that comes from rooting our relationships in Christ, that we may reflect Christ to one another and enable each other to live how we are intended in a life that is only found in Christ.